welcome to the sermon podcast feed of Liberty Church Collingswood, where we want to live, speak, and serve as the very presence of Jesus in Collingswood and surrounding boroughs, or wherever God has placed you. Find us at libertycollingswood.org. Part of our mission is preaching sermons, so here you go. Keep in mind that these messages are designed to bring the timeless message of Jesus to bear in specific contexts to specific people. The whole eternal word, changing worlds thing. Would you hear good news here? Bon appétit! For the first sermon from this season of Lent, to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 19. I'll read the verses, call and response, prayer, sermon. We've got this. Here we go. And behold, a man came up to him, saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these I have kept. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go. Sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Friends, this is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Let's take a moment now to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you once again for bringing us here, and grant us now your spirit of illumination that we truly would hear from you in your scriptures. Father, yours this and every Sunday is the voice that we need to hear. Thank you for your inspired scriptures that draws us, Father, into all truth and brings us back to you. Lord, would you be full of grace and truth to us this morning as we think about what it means to love our neighbor as it involves subjects such as racism and systemic racial injustice. Father, help us to be better followers of Jesus in every way, and help us also to remember, Father, that you are a God of grace and mercy. So give us grace now that we would more reflect Jesus and better be emissaries of your grace into the world. We need you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So years ago, I was counseling a couple that was in a lot of marriage distress. It was one of the rougher counseling situations that I've ever been a part of, and one of the main reasons as to why this counseling situation was so rough is because the husband in the relationship denied that there was any problem. He kept saying over and over again to his wife and to me in counseling sessions, everything is fine. But then on the other hand, the wife repeatedly told her husband, including in my presence, emphatically, everything is not fine. And there are patterns and habits in our marriage, including what my husband does, that are causing me pain. I am hurting right now. Please, can we talk? And the husband, in as many words, said, 
nope, we're good. If there are problems in our marriage, it's her problem, and I refuse to talk about these things. So, at a couple of different points, I went to the husband and said, you need to talk. And it's okay if when you come to the table, you have some different perspectives on some things than what your wife may have. That's why we need to talk through these things. But on the other hand, if you don't talk about these things, you are going to lose your wife. And that's exactly what happened, unfortunately. Husband didn't want to talk at all, said that if there's any problem, it's all on her. She needs to work it out. She needs to fix herself. I don't need to, nor do I want to be involved. And so the marriage dissolved. And I bring up that couple because here at Liberty Collingswood for the season of Lent, as we've been announcing for a while now, we are going to begin a series of discussions about racism and systemic racial injustice in our country. And I wonder... Sometimes in the church in our country is the situation as it relates to these issues somewhat similar to what was going on with that couple. So it was back in May of last year when George Floyd was murdered at the hands or rather at the knee of a police officer, which set off in our country all over again a series of conversations where racial fault lines in our country reemerged and Tensions were inflamed and pain, wounds were uncovered. Lots of people were talking. Lots of people were hurting. The phrase racial reckoning occurred and was used multiple times, and I think it's a good one. But did we and do we need to talk? And there's different opinions about this within the church based on majority and minority cultures. I realize that these are imperfect phrases, majority culture, white folks in church, minority culture, people of color. The Barner Group is a Christian organization that studies and does a ton of statistics crunching about lots of different things in the church. We're not going to be a statistics-heavy series coming up for you, but here's something to try on. Back in the summer of 2019, a year before pandemic, a year before George Floyd, Thousands of church-going Christians in this country were surveyed and asked the question, within the church, does there need to occur a greater number of conversations about racism and systemic racial injustice in our country? And people answered the survey this way. If you were in a minority culture, 70% said, yes, in the church we need to talk about these things more. And then for majority culture Christians, summer 2019, about 45% said yes, it would be good for us to talk about these things more. Fast forward a year. The same set of questions was given by the Barna Group to church-going people, to Christians in our country. How do you think the statistics fell out in that case? Well, it was up to 80% of minority Christians that said, yes, in the wake of this racial reckoning that's occurring in our country, 80% said, we really need to talk about some stuff right now. But then what do you think happened for majority culture? It had been 45%, but then according to the survey, that number didn't rise, but it actually shrunk to close to 30%. That means of the white majority Christians that were surveyed in the wake of George Floyd's murder and in the context 
of racial reckoning in our country, 7 and 10 said, we don't want to talk about this anymore. We are done. And that raised the question for me. Are we or are we not a family within the Church of Jesus Christ in our country? And if so, I hope the answer is yes. Isn't it true that healthy families talk about stuff? Isn't it true that if there are parts of our family, brothers and sisters, that are saying, we really need to talk about this, I'm in a lot of pain, if we truly love our neighbor, if we truly love our brothers and sisters, isn't there a responsibility upon us to say, you know what? We should probably talk. And so that's what we're going to do here during this Lenten sermon series. And I'll admit to you that at earlier stages of my life, this was years ago, I did not want to talk about these things. And the reason was my dad, in this way. I grew up idolizing my dad. He's still my hero. And in my mind, my dad was the epitome of the self-made man in our country. He lived out the American dream. Some of you know the story. Some of you have met my dad. Great guy. One day I want to be like him. But he grew up as a poor farmer in rural Pennsylvania, and he was the first person in his family to go to college. Before that, growing up on that farm, he didn't have plumbing, didn't have electricity until he was a teenager, did not have a lot of money. He told stories about getting to eat meat once a year. That's all they could afford. Getting to have, this is Western PA, pop. That means soda. Once a year, but beyond that, they didn't have anything. But he was the first person in his family that went away to college, eventually got a degree, started a business, and did really well for himself. And I would get nervous and defensive about conversations of systemic racial injustice because in the back of my mind was, hey, what about my dad? Is what we're saying here going to detract from what my dad did? But then when I was living in West Philadelphia, pastoring my first church, diverse area, diverse congregation, I realized that it's okay for me to celebrate my dad, but it's not the full story. I had a conversation like this with a black man talking about some of these things. And it turned out that his grandfather grew up, was a teenager in the 1950s, same time as my dad. And he asked a series of questions to me that went kind of like this. Jim, was your dad taught how to read? And I said, yes, of course. He said, my granddad was not. Jim, you said that your dad didn't have anybody in his family that went to college yet, but did he know other people in his town that went to college? And I said, yes, of course. And he said that my granddad didn't know anybody. This was way before internet. This was way before network relationships outside of your immediate geographic area and community. My dad didn't know anybody that went to college. And then he asked me, was your dad admitted to college? Was he able to go to the college of his choice? And I said, yes. And he said, why don't you go back and check to see if black people were even admitted to the college that he applied to in the 1950s? And I went back and saw that he was not. This grandfather would not have been admitted to this college. And other questions. Hey, in the 1950s, could your dad vote? And I said, yes, of course. And he said, my, my grandfather was prevented from voting. And so I realized 
Then, and over time, and a very similar situation took place at the beginning of a book that I'll be referencing in this series, Weep With Me, by a pastor named Mark Rogup, about how lament can open doors to racial reconciliation in the church. I realized that there was more to the story. And so now at Liberty Collingswood, we are embarking. Lent traditionally is a season of reflection and repentance. Let's take some time here for listening and lament as it relates to racism and systemic racial injustice. I believe that the Bible and that Jesus, given our context now, compels us to jump into these things. So let's do that here. Two parts for the rest of the sermon. I want to talk about why we're talking about these things, and I want to talk about how I'm feeling. If you're preaching a sermon, you can talk about how not just anybody, but how you, I myself, am feeling. Why are we talking about these things? So our sermon text from this morning is a common one from the Gospel of Matthew, the parable of this man, young man, rich young ruler, and other tellings of the story in the Gospels. This text is not a text that's about racism in one way or another. I could have drawn from one of those texts to kick off this sermon series, but I went in this direction instead in order to begin to build our lenses by which we view the scriptures to see that we don't need a passage that talks about racism or racial reconciliation to be able to see that the whole counsel of God is rich in coming to bear on these sorts of issues. And so we have this man who comes to Jesus, and it seems like he wants to be a good believer. He asks Jesus, let's take the question at face value, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And so there's this back and forth. Jesus says, well, go ahead and obey the commandments of God. Verse 18, he said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. Shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And the big one, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But the back and forth from there unfolds this way. Jesus says, you've got to do more. And the man says, that's too much. You've got to do more but actually that's too much. The young man said to him, all these have I kept, what do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasures in heaven and come follow me. That's too much. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. And this is the important part. What was the problem within this man? What was Jesus critiquing? And careful readers of this passage, scholars, commentators will say that the problem was not only that this man was ungenerous with his wealth and resources. It's not just that he was being ungenerous. He was being unjust. Not just ungenerous, but unjust. As Jesus, who embodies all of the scriptures up to and after this point, who embodies Yahweh, the one true God of the Hebrew scriptures, a God of great justice, a God of great righteousness. When Jesus says, this is what you've got to do more, the implication is, hey, it's an optional thing. You don't really need to worry about it, but if you want to grow a little bit more, maybe you should be a little more generous. More than that, if you are hoarding your riches and your wealth and your resources— and are not giving to the poor, are not giving to those less advantaged than you are, that's unjust. That's not right. 
there is more that you can do. If you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess, give to the poor, and then you will have treasures in heaven. And then you know what? Now you're really following me. Bruce Waltke, one of the most prominent and well-respected theologians and scholars of the Old Testament and recent generations in the church in our country, gave this as a definition of biblical righteousness. If you want to be righteous before God and before other people, that means that you need to disadvantage yourself for the advantage of other people. Biblical righteousness, embodying the God of justice, is not just you individually before God, but it's you, yes, individually before God, and in connection with other people, and in connection with God's world. Disadvantage yourself. Lower your position so that you might raise the position of others. And there it is. If we think about Jesus' commands to love our neighbor, the greatest commandment, love, your na- love God and love your neighbor as yourself. As we think about the biblical call to do justice, we have what we need. We have the resources. We have the mandate to fight racism. If we look at that greatest commandment, if we look at the Good Samaritan that we talked about on Ash Wednesday, we have what we need to be anti-racist people, and we should, thinking about evil and racism on the individual level and thinking about those things on the systemic level. The Bible is very comfortable talking in both categories in terms of collective or systemic injustice. So many Bible verses. Here's one. In the Old Testament, God criticizes the rulers this way. Can wicked rulers, this is Psalm 9420, be allied with you those who frame injustice by statute. If you frame injustice by statute, systemically, that also is unjust. That also is wrong. That also is sin. We'll unpack these things. Another reason as to why I think we need to talk about all of this stuff, realistically, we're talking about this stuff anyway, right? This is a time when these issues are pressing in upon us, and I am under no illusions. I get it. I understand that if the church of Jesus Christ doesn't allow for and provide spaces within our walls, digitally or otherwise, so that we have some space to discuss, to debrief, to be discipled, to be spiritually formed— Then people, because we need to talk about these things, we need processing partners, we're going to go other places. And I'm not criticizing you for doing that. I'm just stating it as a neutral fact. And what makes me nervous, however, about going to other places is that in my experience, including over the past year, some of these other places are deeply polarizing and deeply radicalizing, algorithmically so. And there might not be a lot of Bible out there. So if we're thinking about these things, wondering about these things, talking about these things anyway, let's do it as well inside the church. And like I mentioned earlier in reference to that couple in the distressed marriage, healthy families talk. And if we truly love our neighbor, if we truly love our brothers and sisters, shouldn't we as well? And I need to address the rumors At this point, there have been a lot of whispers about this. I just want to come clean to you. It is true. I am a white male. 
And I know that there are some heads exploding online right now. There are people saying, hold on a second. I could have sworn that Jim was, it's like, no, I'm actually a white dude. Really pasty. True story. When I was out this week outside for a while, I got a little bit of sunburn because of all the snow on the ground. That's who I am. And so you might wonder, Jim, what right do you have to talk about some of these things? And I'll say, I don't have one. I don't have a right. But then on the other hand, I believe that I do have a responsibility. Weep With Me by Mark Rogop once again. One of the reasons why I like this book is that he looks like me. I shouldn't only read books that look like me. I understand that for sure. But it's a similar context where he is a white pastor in a white suburban congregation telling his story about how his congregation began to talk about hard racist things in their midst and faced some of these things head on. He puts it this way. While racial harmony requires humble, respectful listening from both sides, I think there is a greater responsibility on those of us in the majority culture to take the first step. And so that's what I want to do here, to take some first steps, not the only steps, not the last steps, but some of the first steps with all of you. Another reason, why are we talking about these things? We need to face it. There has been racism in the Church of Jesus Christ, either by commission or omission, by action or by complicity. You'll notice after I close the sermon here in a couple minutes, when we do our confession of faith, we're going to be taking a break for Lent from the Apostles' Creed, and we'll be doing adapted forms of the Belhar Confession. The Confession of Belhar is one of the confessions in our denomination, in our Reformed or Reformation tradition, and the Belhar Confession came from the Dutch Reformed Church of South Africa. You might wonder, why on earth are we talking about a Dutch Reformed Confession from South Africa? And the history of the Belhar, you can look it up online, is that the Dutch Reformed Church in South Africa realized that even though they had a lot of great Reformation period confessions about doctrine of God and doctrine of salvation, all really good, true stuff about the Bible— they had a huge blind spot as it related to apartheid. And apartheid, racial segregation in South Africa, was not only state-sponsored, it was also church-sponsored. And there were Dutch Reformed pastors that preached sermons and gave biblical reasons for why the races needed to remain separate. And all of these systemic injustices were perpetrated against black people in South Africa. We need to talk. And not just there, whether it's the Weep With Me book, another book that I read recently is called The Color. It's by Jamar Tisby, a recent theologian, somebody who's, who's younger, talk, talking about the color of compromise, American church history. A couple tidbits here. In the antebellum period, in the time of slavery, there were a lot of missionaries that wanted to evangelize slaves in the South. But the slave owners said, we're really not comfortable with that because the missionaries tended to be abolitionists and anti-slavery, they said, we don't want you talking to our slaves about Jesus because they're also going to get ideas about their own freedom. So a complicit compromise was reached, where in a lot of cases, the slave owners asked the missionaries, okay, we'll let you in if you talk about Jesus as the savior of their souls, but we also need you to be pro-slavery at the same time in what you communicate biblically to the slaves. Can you do that? And they said yes. Or more recently, 
in the 1960s, 1970s, even into the 1980s, there were Christian pulpits and Christian organizations, Christian pastors and Christian leaders that preached sermons and wrote position papers. This is not 1860s and 1870s. This is 1960s and 1970s and 1980s with sermon titles like Jesus the Segregationist and giving biblical arguments for why segregation was God's mandated way. And if you believe the Bible and want to be a follower of Jesus, you need to get on board with this platform. And that's recent enough so that maybe some of our parents were in some of these churches. And the statistics bear out. And, you know, statistics, good servants, bad masters. I said this isn't going to be a statistics-heavy series, but there have been, there's been statistical work done that says if you take a white person plus churchgoer, there's a positive correlation there in our country now with racism. We need to talk. And how confident can we be, going back to the sermon that I preached from the Good Samaritan, on Wednesday night for Ash Wednesday, how confident can we be that when it comes to racial issues, if we're a majority culture, that we're not like the priest, that we're not like the Levite, passing by on the other side, when our brothers and sisters are in pain, where there are deep issues where we need reconciliation and repentance, we need to talk. I mentioned on Wednesday night as well, letter from a Birmingham jail by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. I recommend that you go and read the letter. It was written at a time when King was in jail in Birmingham, and it was a letter that was written to fellow pastors that were white. And the most famous part of the letter is King interacting with the fact where he's being told by white clergymen, white clergy people, slow down. Don't get so worked about racial issues right now. Why do you have to do it now? And King goes on this rhetorical flourish when he says, why can't we wait? Well, when your women are assaulted, when your husband are assaulted by police, when you have to explain to your six-year-old daughter that Funland, the fun amusement park that's advertised on TV, she's not allowed to go there. And we can add so many more instances after that, whether it's Trayvon Martin or George Floyd, when to this day, families of color have to have the talk with their teenage sons. Be very careful around police because bad things could happen to you. This is why we can't wait. But in another part of the letter, Dr. King says this. I must confess that over the past few years, I have been gravely disappointed with the white moderate. I have almost reached the, re the regrettable conclusion that the Negro's great stumbling block in his stride toward freedom is not the racist organizations, the white citizens counselor, the Ku Klux Klanner, but the white moderate, who is more devoted to order than to justice. Shallow understanding from people of goodwill is more frustrating than absolute misunderstanding from people of ill will. Lukewarm acceptance is much more bewildering than outright rejection. So that's why I believe we need to talk about some of these things. Now, how am I feeling about all this stuff? I'll tell you. I'm feeling nervous because I know that talking about issues of racism and systemic racial injustice, it has split churches. And I'm praying that that doesn't happen here. And I'm nervous as well that this series is going to be unsatisfying to people both on the right and on the left, where if you identify with the po political right, you might end up saying, here's Liberty Collingswood, ambulance chasing progressive issues so that they can fit in more in our cultural context. Or if you identify with the political left, you might go through this series and say, 
I've had better. I can get better stuff on these issues from five minutes on my social media feeds than going through this long process here at Liberty Collingswood. But here are a couple of prayers of mine. For one, I pray that as we go on this journey together, that we will not go on this journey as if playing Operation. Do you remember Operation? The kids' game, Battery Powered, where you're one by one with metal tweezers trying to remove different plastic organs that are ringed by metal borders that are electrified. And when you play Operation, I don't know why this was ever a kids' game. I think it just made kids anxious and tense. That's how I felt when I played it. You're anxious and tense because if the tweezers hit the side just a tiny bit, you're literally shocked. It was a kid's game, different times. But let's have conversations like this, not as if we're playing operation where we're holding our breath and we're so tense and we're so anxious and we're so angsty. When you get that one little thing that sounds off, you explode and say, I'm done, I'm out of here. That's why we're talking about this season in terms of listening and lamenting. Let's listen to each other. And come now. Let's hear and feel freedom to ask questions. If something doesn't make sense to you and say, like, I've heard this before, but I don't know what it means. I'm not sure if I'm on the same page as that. Can you tell me more? I want church to be a third space where we're not in these polarized corners where there's this cultural orthodoxy, either way, where you can only say certain things. Let's have honest conversation in the context of grace. We're going to invite different voices into this conversation. Next time, here at Liberty Collingswood on Sunday mornings, I'll be over here on the stage interviewing Courtney and Abby to hear their perspective on some of these things. But let's pray for peaceful dialogue and that Jesus would give that grace. Here's another prayer that I've been praying, I invite you to join along with it. I am praying that if you're a follower of Jesus here at Liberty Collingswood, going on this journey with us, that you will assign deeper and more robust value to the bonds of Jesus in his church than to whatever bonds of affiliation you feel to any political party or any political ideology. Would the bonds of Christ, would the communion of saints be richer and thicker and deeper than the others? What is more your tribe? Before whom do you not want to be ashamed? And like I mentioned on Wednesday night, we're not trying to tell you how to vote. We're not trying to get you to convert political parties. If you're on the right or on the left, even if you stay there, We want you to be better versions within those parties, more geared towards justice, more wanting to engage, more recognizing that these are problems that need dialogue, more recognizing that we need to listen to each other better so that we can truly press ahead together. If you're a skeptic, not sure where you are with Jesus, join us for this journey and see what biblical resources there are for some of these questions. So if those are a couple of prayers that I have under the rubric of how I'm feeling, I'll wrap up with a couple of reasons why I have confidence and and excited about this season of Lent. For one, we have the cross of Jesus Christ. And that gives me confidence because we see in Jesus that following Christ is all about dying to self anyway. And if there are points during this season where we might think I'm a little shaken up, I'm a little uncomfortable right now. I'm not sure I'm on board. I need to listen a little bit more. 
maybe that's an opportunity for us to die to ourselves. To say, I'm going to stay in here more. I'm going to consider others more highly than myself. Philippians 2, Paul says in another place, I am crucified with Christ and I no longer live, and it's Christ who lives in me. Would we have the resources to continue? And to use a theological category, one of the things within that Reformation or Reform tradition that we say, we talk about this in our In Covenant class, total depravity. That means, in layman's terms, everybody is really messed up. Not just some of us, but all of us. Not just in some ways, but in all ways. Sin is everywhere. And if whether for me as an individual, or more broadly, I find out that things have been a little bit worse than I thought, more messed up, that shouldn't shock me, because I already believe in total depravity, right? You're just filling in the details about what I already confess and believe about myself. And so we will listen, we will lament, and I will ask you, you can go to our Lent page on our website, libertycollingswood.org Lent, for our full menu of Lenten programming. But at the end of this series, on our Maundy Thursday service during Easter week, I'm going to ask you as individuals or as families to take steps of consecration for these things. You don't have to tell me. Leave them at Jesus' feet where you can be more engaged with these things. And that's going to mean different things for different people. For some of us, that might mean political activism. For some of us, that might mean joining protests. For some of us, that might mean donating money to organizations that might be more in line with the political left as it relates to racial justice stuff. For others of us, it might be donating towards racial justice stuff that align more with the political right. That is fine, too. It might be reading more books. It might be building some intentional relationships across ethnic barriers and divides. It might be learning more of our history, whatever it is. And we can't solve the problem by Easter morning, but we can take steps, consecrate them before Jesus. I would encourage you. And finally, Last reason why I'm confident about how this is going to be a great season for our church. Because of grace. Because the grace of Jesus Christ is big and wide and deep. If we just end this paragraph here from Matthew chapter 19, it's bad news. Jesus says, go, sell everything, give to the poor. Then you'll have treasures in heaven. The guy was sad. He loved his stuff. And we love our stuff too, whatever it is, selfishly. But the fullness of the story is not Jesus telling us, go and do, although we should. The center, the fullness of this story, is that Jesus says, hey, let me take that for you. At the end of verse 17, Jesus says, if you would enter life, keep the commandments. On the cross, Jesus says, let me keep the commandments for you. And I believe that Jesus keeping the commandments for us gives us grace that is sufficient for all things. Having hard conversations about race, there's grace for that. Would we seek the grace of Jesus Christ this season? And the grace of Jesus is more important all the more to bring us into eternal life. Jesus alone does that. Grace alone does that. You've got to be in the Jesus camp for that. All the way to a new heavens and a new earth, that we were called to worship with at the beginning of our service from the book of Revelation, where everything will be made right again. No more injustice, no more pain, no more wounds that continue to hurt when every tear is wiped away. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. 
in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey, could that have been the best sermon ever? Eh, the odds are strongly not in its favor. Still, thanks for listening, and be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. You can also check out our version of a preaching after party, the post-Sunday blues, a preaching post-mortem, on the same podcast feed where you can go backstage with the sermon. Live, speak, and serve at you later.